Welcome to Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. I'm your aptly named host of your favorite hebdomadal podcast. Oh, I'm glad you're with me. I'd suffer with paralagma if you broke me with the idea that you missed this week's show. Don't work for free. Your brand, programs, assets, and communities are a commodity worth assigning value to. Is it time to tell a company or other potential partner, thanks but no thanks? Matthew Zachary from Offscript Health shares his advice. On Tony's Take Two, please take care of yourself. We're sponsored by Turn Two Communications, PR and content for nonprofits. Your story is their mission. Turn-2.co. It's a pleasure to welcome Matthew Zachary to the show. He is a 26-year brain cancer survivor and one of the most respected voices in healthcare. He's an award-winning concert pianist and film composer and the host of Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary, the number one podcast in healthcare. He founded the award-winning nonprofit Stupid Cancer. Matthew is now CEO and co-founder of Offscript Health, the first audio broadcasting company focused solely on consumer health and patient engagement. He's at MatthewZachary.com and at MatthewZachary. Matthew, welcome to Nonprofit Radio. Hello, Tony. Pleasure to have you. Likewise. Thank you for having me on the show. I'm glad you're on from, uh, from New York City. From the heart of Manhattan. Downtown. Where, where, where are you downtown in Manhattan? We are between the World Trade Center and the South Street Seaport. Well, you're very far down. Okay. I mean, I consider Chelsea downtown. You're your financial district downtown. This is like near the near the bay downtown. The battery, the battery near the yep. uh, near the battery, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Welcome. Glad to have you. Uh, we're I'm thrilled to uh, rant and rave to your listeners. You ready to rant and rave? Please do. That's kind what I do best. <laughs> I'm already correcting you. They're our listeners. Please. Our listeners. Okay. The listeners. Right. Hello, rant listeners. No, no, don't. Don't disqualify it. There are listeners. Rant and rave, please. Tell stories. And we're going to be talking about some stories, uh, some of your stories, your background, but we're getting started. No, we want to get started. We're talking about nonprofits undervaluing their assets. And uh, uh, let's uh, set up your, your bona fides to talk about this. What, what is it in your background that leads you to, to the... Uh, to the belief that this is a problem that nonprofits are are are, uh, are are causing for themselves, this undervaluing. I have the terrible privilege of having started a nonprofit with no experience in 2006 and then running it to, to success by accident over 14 years. Okay. And it's often the most unqualified human that does it right the wrong way. And I spent a decade working at Omnicom in the agency space after surviving brain cancer in college. So I learned a lot, and this is pre-internet, pre-Google, pre-everything. This is AOL floppy disks and dial-up and crappy Macintoshes and gateway computers. That's the era in which I kind of grew up with. And back then, consumers really valued, you know, good brands and Direct to consumer wasn't really a thing yet. There was no like banner ads pervaded, but healthcare 
and cancer and rare disease wasn't really a market. We were kind of left to our own devices. And I wound up meeting a guy who happened to be on the board of directors of a group called the National Coalition for Cancer Survivorship. They are a 501c3 and a 501c4 group in the Beltway, probably the single most influential group no one's ever needing to have heard of because they get all the things done behind the scenes in cancer policy, access, CMS, payer equity, FDA. They're they're wizard. Well, we have um, we have jargon gel on uh, Tony Martinetti nonprofit radio. I hit the jargon button. Where, where can I deconstruct? CMS, there's no button. I just I just interrupt you uh, brashly like I just did. Medicare but, services, the Federal Drug Food and Drug Administration, right? CMS uh, and insurance what companies. What is CMS? Comprehensive mentioned? Medicare Services. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I will. I will deacronym uh, for the rest of the uh, show. If you uh, please, but if you forget, I'll, I'll remind you. Don't worry. But I, I wanted to start a nonprofit, having no experience understanding what that was, because I saw, I saw a marketing need. I saw a business okay. opportunity. And before I get to the second part of that thought, nonprofits are still businesses. And fundamentally, most people that start nonprofits, I have no data to support this, are doing it because of emotional desire and not practical uh, forward thinking. Well, that sounds and, like it was your own experience. You said, you, yes, you blundered. I, well, you maybe didn't blunder into it, but you blundered through it. I blundered through it with no experience, but I always ran it like a for-profit company. It happened to be a tax-exempt IRS status, but I never thought that I would want to ever beg people to give couch cushion money to keep the lights on. I'm not that kind of person, and I genuinely believed in you could commoditize cancer patients because they're just consumers. And they want to feel like they're part of a community and they want to give back in a way that they can get paid for having their life experience sold to somebody that they didn't ask to have that wisdom, mm. but also figure out ways to monetize the revenue portfolio of the company without being dependent on donor dollars. And that, that was my approach. The naivete was that, oh, my God, no one's ever done this. I'm going to try it. And then I was met with like, oh, you need a board of directors. You need DNO insurance. You need to have audits. I don't know these things. But fumbling through that with the onset mindset that this is a business first and foremost that happens to be a nonprofit was antithetical. But I think it's an underserved narrative in why most nonprofits fail, why most nonprofits earn less than $50,000 a year. And why the government's made it way too easy to get to C3 status, because they just know that they just want to have this on their books. We're the good government. We get the C3 status. And I'll end that thought with one of my friends and heroes and mentors is uh, Dan Pallotta. Mm -hmm. Dan Pallotta had the most watched TED Talk in history. He's been on the and show. He, years, years yeah. ago, he was on the show. No yeah. friend. The way we think about charity is all wrong. Dead it wrong. talks about right. GDP issues and the fundamental flaws and scaling and growth and equity and value. And, you know, he taught me a lot getting this off the ground. And I was pl- privileged to have him kind of be the Jiminy Cricket that validated my approach that this is a business that happens to be a charity. It's time for a break. Turn to communications. 
Your story is their mission. What does that mean? What do you want to tell? What story do you want to tell? What audience do you want to tell it to? What channel or channels do you want to use to tell that story? All of that is what Turn 2 does. That makes your story their mission. So, and they'll help you refine that story. They'll, they'll maybe help you find that story, not just refine it, but help you find it. And then they'll help you figure out who the best audiences are. You probably have a good sense of that, but they can help. Uh, who the, what the best channels are. They definitely can help you with that. And then hone that story and tell it, get it out. Whatever, whether you're going to use earned media or owned media, whatever channels you're going to use, they'll get it out. All of that means that your story is their mission. Turn to communications, turn-to.co. Now back to don't work for free. What about the undervaluing part? What, what, what did you, uh, were there lessons you learned? And you said you didn't, you, you never wanted to pursue uh, couch cushion pennies as donations, but where did your thinking about nonprofits uh, not sufficiently valuing themselves come from? Right. So this goes to how industry, the cockeyed fuckingness of healthcare is that the people that make the drugs that you and I take, we're I not the customers. I appreciate, I appreciate you saying fuckedness. Yeah. It's, there's, there's or fuckery. Words. Right. Wait, say that one too. Fuckery. Yeah. There, there are too, too few words that mean anything anymore. So, right. you know, we say it, say it, say the word that best describes the situation you're, you're talking about. Right. Please. The healthcare fuckery, the way in which the healthcare economy works and your listeners, our listeners may know yes, this. Please. See what I did there? You're swearing at our listeners. Pharma makes the drugs. The insurance companies decide how much doctors will get paid to give the patients the drugs. And that's it. It's that straightforward. You're the patient on the drug. You're not the consumer. You're not the end user. You're the recipient. You walk into a store and someone else decides what you're buying on the shelf and how much you have to pay for it. That's not a normal way to think about the economy, but what drives the industry to care about nonprofits is that we are the people on their medications that they can never get in touch with legally. So they have to develop the advocacy budget programs, thanks to the Sunshine Act, that allow them to have less influence over decision-making, but a loophole through to the people on their medications and pipeline. So they're desperate to throw advocacy money at nonprofits in the hopes that the nonprofits will Tell your community about these disease state awareness that are non-branded websites and all these other things because they can't directly get to the patients. So at Stupid Cancer, at one point we had, in the heyday, we had maybe a half a million people on Facebook and maybe 100,000 people on a mailing list. This is before text and Twitter and TikTok and all that yeah, crap. All that mattered. Years, roughly what years are we talking about? It's important for context. 2010, 11, 12. Okay. okay. Maybe 13. Like real, like super, what the Back hell was when Facebook? We had, it's we, super yeah, cool. When, when there was real, like, like, like us on Facebook. When that was yes, like us on Facebook. Right. We also had live events, you know, where we had 20, 30,000 people coming to our live events every single year. 
Mm. We had a trade show in Las Vegas for five days with a thousand. So we were we were swimming in the patients that the pharma companies needed to get to. So they're like, hey, we would like to talk to your, I don't know, breast cancer community. I said, great, quarter million dollars. What? Well, you're already spending half a million on Facebook to get people to care about this drug. Why should you think we're doing this for free? Well, because you're helping your community. I was like, no, we have a community that's huge because people pay us. So show, what is it? No dough, no show was the absolute end-all, be-all binary transaction of stupid cancer, which put us in a very different value space than the other nonprofits, which are like, sure, take all these people. We'll tell them all about this for free. When they're so undermining their own, like you said, their own value, you are worth something. So then Pharma got smart and other groups cropped up that became these middle groups, these registries and these Patients like me and Snow Company, WeGo Health, Inspire Health Union, and they do a great job aggregating communities and therefore profits. But most of these people are still part of nonprofit organizations. So then they're the ones going to the nonprofit saying, hey, encourage your community to join ours so we can sell these people to pharma and you are left holding the bag. Mm. And then the nonprofit, oh, sure. Hey, people, everyone go join this platform now so you can tell pharma how much you hate them or like them or whatever it is. But the model is still the same. The nonprofits are not basically monetizing the opportunity to data mine their community when they built all the sweat equity to create it in the first place. You you created this vast community. You've got to take a step back and and recognize its value to, 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 to people you're trying to invite in. Or right, people exactly. Want, or want, or people who want in. Right. I mean, a lot of this goes back to what we used to call trust culture. Nonprofits are the place you go because you trust the community. It's peer to peer. It's life hacking. It's it's I'm not alone anymore. It's mental health support. It's psychosocial support. All the evidence over the last 15 years points to that patients are getting more value in decision making and mental health in- improvement by talking to people like them and not to doctors. So. It's natural that the pharma companies want to build, you know, better drug pipelines or better clinical trial engagements or better disease state awareness programs or better non-branded websites, but they can't do it without the patients. You know, how many pharma conferences are all about healthcare and patient access and blah, blah, blah. And then that's not a single patient there or a single nonprofit there. They won't pay the nonprofits to show up. They expect us to apply to exhibit for $5,000. How fair is that? Yeah, well, you need the nonprofits at the patient conference with no patients, nor do you want the patients to come and talk on the stage as tokens and not even pay them. Okay. Am I ranting enough? You, you're, you're doing a good job. Yeah. No, <laughs> the passion is there. The zeal is there. Absolutely. Um, if you were, look, if you were flat, I would have turned your mic off five minutes, 10 minutes ago. Fair so, enough. Um, let's, now, I understand your background is is healthcare, and you're still you're you've you've got a uh, the number one podcast in healthcare. I'm going to uh, challenge you to take this out of the healthcare realm for the benefit of our listeners who don't work in healthcare. Mm-hmm. They don't have a patient population or a family supporting population. Sure, you know, they may have a uh, a dog loving population or uh, uh, a whale loving population. So let's let let's 
uh, get folks to take a step back and value th- what their assets are that are appealing not only to companies, and you you make the case strongly about uh, well pharmaceutical companies in particular, but we could broaden that to potential corporate supporters, but also value to uh, individual individual donor investors. So can we start to talk about you know take a step back and recognize what your value is to your supporter communities? Yeah, I I think if we separate the consumer health nonprofit universe with everything else. It's yeah. a different beast. It's a very different beast. It's also okay. a lot easier to quantify impact when you're out of healthcare than when you're in healthcare. And I look towards, you know, Doctors Without Borders, Habitat for Humanity, um, you know, Charity Water. You can really, your money makes this well. Your money builds this house. Your money sends this doctor. Your money fixes that cleft palate. It's a lot easier in terms of showing donors exactly where their money, individual donors, where their money goes. So my perception is that I'm not going to say easier, but also easier with like an asterisk attached to it. Most donors in the healthcare space are there because they've been personally affected because healthcare fell on them too. And they want to be there to support the nonprofits they care about because whatever they're doing is helping me feel better because I'm somehow knowing someone else is helping being helped. These many more women get mammograms or these many more, these more communities get access to care or this is improving mental health in children or whatever, whatever, whatever. But there's a different dogmatic principle in tangibility of donor relations outside of the healthcare space. You know, the ASPCA, for example, here's how many dogs you can help. You know, the all the Sarah McLaughlin commercials, like here's exactly the Jerry Lewis telethons. We can assign a, a mental value in our head to knowing this dollar helps this thing. It's less esoteric than healthcare. So all with that said, you know, there are still the pitfalls of most nonprofits never break over $50,000. Most people still start them based on passion projects without doing any research into understanding it's still a business. It's still a C-corp. It just has a tax status. You still need a board. You need an audit. You need insurance. You have to have payroll. You can't pay yourself. There's all these red flags when you do your a million things that go into like learn what you're getting yourself into without the passion horse blinders on because you want to get it done because no one else is. Yeah. Well, all right. Yes. And, and um, our listeners are, are past that though. You know, they've, they're already in nonprofits. Um, and I know I, I've, I've heard you on some other interviews talk about, uh, I, I guess you pretty much despise people who do what you did, you know, start a nonprofit with, without, with with the blinders on, without knowing what you're going into it, uh, yeah. What what the expectations are, what the what the compliance requirements are, what the fundraising requirements are, what the board requirements are, state law, federal law. Um, you're you're down on people who did what you did. So so like it was fine for you, but you know don't you know what? <laughs> right. I'm an accidental success because yes. I approached it very differently. I went in knowing firsthand this was going to be a, a commercial brand. This is going to have products and services, e-commerce, stunts, uh, commoditized assets, uh, a brand halo effect, uh, hitting consumer markets on what used to be called cause marketing dollars, 
I, I did not ever want to walk in and beg for change. Um, but I am a rare case study because I did approach it from a very antithetical, having no idea what I was doing on purpose yeah, yeah. versus, and it's not an equal or an either or an apples oranges, not doing the research in advance of what it's going to take to accomplish what goal by doing this. It's time for Tony's take two. Please be taking care of yourself. I just had my annual wellness visit, which used to be called annual physical, somewhere along the line, uh, when uh, I guess around the time that uh, toilet paper became bathroom tissue, uh, annual physicals became wellness visits. So I had my annual wellness visit very recently, within the past week. And basically it was keep doing what you're doing. So that's very good news. I hope you are doing things that you should keep doing. Are you, so I'm encouraging you to, uh, take care of yourself, right? Things like getting enough sleep, eating well, however, however you define well, you know, being scrupulous about what you eat, right? The work life balance. It's true, of course, work and life are so inextricably intertwined now because so much of work is done from home. But that doesn't mean that there isn't or can't be proper balance. Just because they're inextricably intertwined doesn't mean you can't be balancing them. Spending not too much time at work, doing the work, wherever you're doing it from, uh, uh, and not enough time taking care of yourself, right? Time alone. You know, I'm a big advocate of that. If you've been listening for a long time, you know, I'm a big advocate of time alone. Restful time, right? Time with family, with your dear, with those dear children, grandchildren. All of this, all of this is the work-life balance. And bigger than that, I hope you're generally taking care of yourself so that when you have your next annual wellness visit, your doc will tell you, Keep doing what you're doing. That is Tony's Take Two. We've got buttloads more time for Don't Work for Free with Matthew Zachary. You mentioned brand uh, equity. That's something that all nonprofits have in common. They, you know, uh, encouraging our listeners to, to think about what the, the value of your brand is in your community, however you define community. It might be your local community. It might be your state. It, it, it might be the environment. Uh, all, all air-breathing mammals might be your community. But, you know, however you define it, you know, uh, you know well, Matthew, you're, you're talking about brand equity, brand value. What is, right. what, what, what's the value of that to, to outsiders who you're trying to encourage to invest? Well, I mean, investing versus donors, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm taking it out of individual donors now. Yeah, I mean, there are people who believe, you know, that. well, I do too. Individual donating is investing, but I'm talking more about, you know, outside outside support, uh, corporate corporate support. There, there's, there's value in your brand. And I'm just, I, I would like listeners to recognize that. You, you yeah, have, there's like... There's 30 ways to answer that with 30 other permutations. So uh, I guess I'll start with, you know, brand equity is defined as how a 
customer feels good about their purchase and why they are repeat customers and the value they get by involving themselves in that brand experience. Apple, Target, McDonald's, whatever it is, the brand is there. It's nice. You're used to it. gives you comfort. There's a psychological benefit. There's a retail confirmation bias. That's basically the DNA behind brand equity. And many nonprofits don't have that. They have a mission statement. They don't, may have a logo or may have a, you know, some cleverly designed kitschy thing, you know, on a marquee somewhere. Most don't, and that's fine. But I'm going to go out on the limb and say most people who discover a value of associating with a nonprofit that they care about will have nothing to do with their logo or their name. It's what they yeah. do um, on the, I would say the consumer brand retail CPG corporate side of why they would underwrite something. There's always an ulterior motive about what's mission aligned with their quote unquote pillars. Yeah. Right. And sometimes they just don't align. Or sometimes when you're the Ford foundation, everyone submits a grant for $40,000 and they get a million grants and they can only give four. So there's a massive conundrum in, in where businesses would align with a nonprofit organization versus like a local business. You know, a lot of these golf outings are phenomenal, but they're underwritten by a local deli for 50 grand. And that's great. So it depends on how you want to scan the cat yeah, in yeah, terms no, of what's going to get that business to get behind that charity. That counts. The, 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 totally. The, the local deli sponsoring recognizes that you have credibility in the community and they yes. want your name. And so you just don't want to we, we want to not undervalue the credibility that we are lending to our investing partners. Right. The but way, they also meant, want people going to the golf tournament to buy sandwiches at that deli. Yeah. You mentioned you mentioned CPG. What is that, please? Oh, sorry. Jargon. Consumer packaged goods services. Oh my God, I would never have gotten that one. Consumer <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, so when you go to when when you go to companies, and I don't care if it's the local deli or it's you mentioned Ford, I'll say the local Ford dealership or Ford Motor Company International, you know, you want to you want to be conscious of the value that you're bringing to the to the conversation. Right. I'm gonna go back to what I said before, which is if you can highly quantify where your dollar goes. And you could show that, you know, that dog or that house or that park you want to renovate or that sick kid. Yeah, you're going to have direct community impact. It's a lot easier yeah. to build the communities around the smaller groups. But when you get to the bigger groups, you know, people are going to discover them based on where they where they find their interest. If they're advertising, if you see them on TV, if you're invited by someone to go to one of their events. And oftentimes there is a bit of a superficiality where I want to be associated with Habitat for Humanity. I want to give them a lot of money so they put me on their board of directors. I, I need that thing. And so there's a, there's a huge psychology that split seven ways from Sunday on what drives, I would say, the American psych psychology to get involved with a nonprofit that they themselves are not directly affiliated with. That's interesting. Wait, say a little more about that. Well, I mean, it, again, it just goes back to kind of ego and halo and why does this person want you know, this leaf at the synagogue or this wing of the hospital, or, you know, I want to be on the board of, you know, the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation because it looks good on LinkedIn. And my cousin's cousin's cousin had this. I, there, there's all different 
you know, intentions and something, nothing malignant in terms of wanting to do this. But we talked about like how people see value in the nonprofits, but also how the nonprofits express their value to sponsors, donors, and 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 stakeholders. Right. And and a lot of that expression is through the the impact of the work that you're doing. Right, which goes back to how anything outside of healthcare has a different way to express impact. Right, value. different, not not uh, not insurmountable. Uh, you know, we we mentioned animal shelters. Maybe yeah, before the shelter opened, we just had a I just had a guest last week or the week before. Before the shelter opened, there was a ninety eight percent kill rate of of uh, dogs and cats that were that were found that were that were that were given to given over to to a government agency. A nonprofit took over that work. Uh, and now they've turned it on their head where only 8%, it's an 8% kill rate and 92% adoption rate. So, I would donate to that place tomorrow. That's, see, you, you yeah, I mean, who, who wants dying pets? No one wants dying pets. Right, right. So it's, it's, it's doable, by the way, if you want to give the, the charities Barks, uh, Baltimore Animal Rescue and Care Shelter, Baltimore, Maryland. Um, okay. A little shout out to a guest. Uh, was either last week's guest or the guest before, Joanne Goldberger. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, am I offending the? Am I offending you by mentioning another guest? No, I don't think so. No, of course not. Yeah, you're not. Your ego's not not damaged, right? <laughs> you're okay. Not, not right now. No. Give a little shout out to a past guest because because it, it overlaps. So, but it, this it, goes back to the shared economy of nonprofiteers. We are all doing our best. I also, you know, I, I'm sure this is still the case. It still is largely in cancer. There's a certain degree of territoriality that goes to a lot of the nonprofits anywhere in the country in any specific mission where I can do it better than these people. And these hydro groups, these splinter groups that you're not doing it the way I would want it to get done. So, you know, I'm not going to work with you to better this nonprofit. I'm going to start my own thing. And, you know, I think that infighting and territoriality, that's ego driven and that doesn't help anybody. The shared economy of non-profiteers. That's interesting. It's community organizing. It's community wisdom. It's it's how do we learn from each other? Because there's, I mean, irrespective of mission and impact, and there's a fundamental horizontal line on how to do it well and things to just not do. And just like peer-to-peer support in any community, there's professional peer-to-peer support in nonprofit leadership. All right. Um, what do you feel like uh, I haven't I haven't asked you about? We haven't talked about that's related to recognizing your value as, as a as an institution, as a business uh, to to in to those you're trying to encourage to invest in the business. What, what, what more do you want to say about recognizing I mean, it, your value? It, it takes a business sense to identify what your value is. You can't really allow someone to tell you what that is, but you can observe why people are invested in giving to what you do. But you are the steward of your own brand. You invented this. You started this. You didn't get hired by this company. It's your thing. Why should people care about you? That is your determinant of value to express to the communities that you're asking to support you. Matthew Zachary. Is, bless you. Is that a sneeze? Bless you. It was a sneeze, yes. Matthew Zachary. It's MatthewZachary.com and at Matthew Zachary. Thanks very much for sharing your ideas. 
I appreciate being here, Tony. Thank you very yeah. much. And thank you to all, all of our listeners for chiming in. It's very thoughtful of you. Next week, we'll continue the corporate partnership discussion with specific strategies with Chris Barlow when he returns. If you missed any part of this week's show, I beseech you, find it at TonyMartinetti.com. We're sponsored by Turn2 Communications, PR and content for nonprofits. Your story is their mission, turn-2.co. Our creative producer is Claire Meyerhoff. The show's social media is by Susan Chavez. Mark Silverman is our web guy. And this music is by Scott Stein of Brooklyn, New York. Thank you for that affirmation, Scotty. Be with me next week for Nonprofit Radio, big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Go out and be great. <laughs>